Heavenly Father, how I thank you and praise you for wonderful men and women that you've given in our military that have fought and served so that we can enjoy the freedom that we have in this country uh, to worship you chiefly. And I thank you for those that are serving overseas and ask your prayer of your protection and your power to be over them as they serve so that others uh, might experience just a taste of the freedom that we have here in this country. And so, Lord, fight for us now that we would not miss uh, what you would have us here this morning. And so tune our hearts and our ears to you today and to your word, for we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. When I was a kid, my mom used to throw out these little profundities uh, at me, and frankly, a lot of them I've forgotten, uh, but there was one that she said to me that I never uh, forgot and I still think about on a regular basis. I'm sure what precipitated this particular comment was something I said as a little boy along the lines of, I'm bored. (laughs) And what she said is, she goes, you know what, when you get older, the older you get, the faster time goes. And so enjoy these moments when you're bored. And I remember saying something along the lines of, Mom, um, time doesn't go any faster uh, because one second is one second, regardless of how old you are. And instead of like paddling me on the backside, which is really frankly what I deserved in that moment, my mom just simply said, you'll see. And so I remember the day I finally saw that. I vividly remember standing at my high school on my last day of school. We received our caps and gowns that day, and somebody snapped a picture of me and my best friend standing next to me. And it was like as the flash went off, I'm like, I remember the first day on the campus with a map in my hand, like, I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm going to die in this high school. And to, it just seemed like a blink of an eye, and it was gone. I'm like, Mom, my whole high school career flashed by before I knew it. Maybe Mom was right. And then college went by, and grad school at seminary flew by, and 25 years plus now of pastoral ministry just seemed like they've flown by. Married for 10, got a daughter who's now 8. Uh, just hard to believe, man, Mom is right. Time just flies by. And so for me, uh, time seems more like this piece now, where not seconds are clicking by, but years are just clicking by. Now that I've turned 51, it's like, oh wow, it is moving faster and faster over a period of time. And maybe some of you can relate to that. Or or maybe some of you are here today and you're more in the camp of, I feel like my time's up. Like, I'm done. Like, this is just about it for me. I don't think there is much time left. I have that. And, and maybe even some of you, when you think of time, you don't think of it from a linear standpoint. You think of, like, Time Magazine or something like that. Now, the magazines, they, they print them on paper, and they have words, and you can buy them in a store. Sometimes they're delivered. Ah, forget it. It's hard to explain what magazines are. But it, that's what a lot of people think. And a lot of people don't take any time to think about time. But I'm also very cognizant of there are a lot of people who are worried about time. And they're worried about tomorrow because tomorrow is part of time. And they're like, I've got this going on at school tomorrow and I'm worried about this. I've got this challenge at work or this is going on in my family and I'm worried about what's going to happen today, this afternoon or tomorrow. And so we worry about that. And there are so many people who, frankly, Sunday morning is the best day, not just because you get to worship with other people, but because this is the only interaction that you get with other people. 
and there are too many people that are going through life and time just means loneliness for them and isolation. And so we want to learn about time and learn a different perspective of time before. And what I want to do is take what Kevin read just a moment ago from Psalm 90. Now, most of the Psalms were written by King David, but this is a Psalm that was written by Moses. And we're going to talk a little bit about Moses this morning. But I want to take a look at Psalm 90, and we're going to jump around a little bit. And I'm not going to pretend to give you everything out of Psalm 90, because that would take a long, long time. I want to encourage you, frankly, to just go home and read it for yourself and dwell on it and meditate it this week, because it is a powerful, powerful psalm. And so we're going to jump around. So if you've got your own Bible, that's probably the best thing you can do. Um, you can borrow one of ours. They're underneath the seat. Uh, we've got them projected up here. It's on your outline that you received if you picked up a worship folder. Or if you've got a, a smartphone with you, you can go to the YouVersion Bible app, and it's got the verses here as well. So take a look at Psalm 90. We're going to start in the middle. What I believe is the pivotal verse uh, in Psalm 90. Everything hinges on this. And it, Moses says this. He said, teach us to number our days. And you're thinking, well, what do we need to teach to number? I mean, from very early childhood, we're learned to count, right? One, two, three, four. We know how to count days. Well, this isn't counting days. Teach us to number our days. The word in Hebrew there is manah, which literally is to weigh out your days. Not just to be able to count them, but to weigh them out and to know the gravity of time and to understand that. And so today, you manah your day, and then tomorrow, uh, you manah your day, and if you put a few days together in a row, you get manah, manah. Wow, okay. I'd kill with my eight-year-old daughter. I thought it was hilarious. Manah, manah. Um, and so what I want to ask you, teach us to number our days, tells us, and Moses tells us that there's some intrinsic thing that we don't understand about time. The fact that Moses would ask the question should lead us to think that I don't know everything about time. And so let me ask you the question, who is teaching you about time? Who is passing on the truths and the wisdom of this? Who is teaching you about time? Well, what do we need to learn? Why should I learn to number our days? The second part of this verse, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. I find even the choice of words that Moses has there fascinating to me. Because he doesn't say, teach me to have a mind uh, of wisdom. It's a heart of wisdom. In other words, I don't just want to comprehend it. I don't just want to memorize it for a test. I don't just want to understand it. I, I want to live it. And so it's in my soul. It's in my heart. It drives the way I live out my life. God, teach me in that kind of way to weigh out my days so that I can live it with my whole life, not just intellectually understand it. That it's a part of who I am. Because everybody who has ever lived understands that at some point we die. We are born and then we die. And everybody gets that. You don't have to be a follower of Jesus to understand that. But part of having the wisdom and understanding is not just knowing that we die. It's why we die. Because sin separates us from, from God. And the wages of sin, the Bible records, is death. And the whole reason death came into the world was because of our bad choices and our disobedience and our rebellion against God. That's why death came into the world, which frankly is why death is so painful. Because it wasn't a part of God's original plan. And that's why we grieve. That's why we hurt. That's why we fear. That's why we worry about that. 
And, and so Moses, teach us to number our days. We may gain a heart of, of wisdom and we may understand all this. Now go back, look at verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. And I tell you, I think Moses was uniquely qualified in this regard. Just to give you a brief history of Moses' life, um, Moses grew up as one of the slave children in Egypt, and because um, the children were being killed, uh, he was placed in a basket down the Nile River, picked up by Pharaoh's household, and grew up for roughly 40 years in Pharaoh's household. Now, that was a pretty good gig because you had the best of the best of what the world had to offer, the best education, the best food, all the rights and privileges with rising up in Pharaoh's household. That was the first 40 years of his life. The next 40 years, because of a decision he made to kill an Egyptian, ran into hiding and went into the wilderness, and he spent roughly the next 40 years of his life tending sheep. Now, he got a wife out of it, so it worked out okay for him. But I imagine through those 40 years uh, of life, of like, really, this is what I, I was in Pharaoh's household. I was eating the best of the best, and now I'm hanging out with sheep. And, and then the last 40 years, roughly, of his life were leading the Israelites, wandering through the wilderness from Egypt into the promised land, leading millions and millions of people and cattle through the wilderness into the promised land. And Moses looks back over his life, and he says, you know, the one constant through all of the changes, I had everything, had nothing, and now I'm in charge of everything. Through all of these changes, God, you have been the one constant in my life. From generation to generation, you have been our dwelling place. Wherever we are, God, right there, you have been, is what he starts this with. This is how we begin to have a heart of wisdom. Look at verse 2, before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God, and so many songs have been written about this verse. Mountain, Moses knew about mountains, and some of you have probably seen mountains before, and you just stand there, and how majestic they are. And Moses looks at those mountains, and he said, God, before they were even there, these things that look insurmountable to us, that look, look immovable to us. Before any of that was there, Lord, you were from everlasting to everlasting. You could put a lot of analogies there. Before there was a star in the sky, before there were other planets, before there were other galaxies. I, I love, I don't know if you've gotten into this reading all about Voyager and, and just going to the, the outward you know, realm of our understanding of space and just fascinating as I read articles and every time I read another article about that all I think about is how great are you God <laughs> that we're just scratching the surface of everything that's out there before and it's pushing us to our very limits just to understand the little bit right around us which is amazing to think about and I'll, I'll just throw in a little commercial here, um, by the way, in January. I got a great sermon series just talking about the greatness of our God and, and this journey we're going around the sun with. And uh, we're bringing an astronaut in on that third week of that series, which will be really cool. Just a faithful follower of Jesus and had been up in space on the space station before to share his vantage point and his perspective. So that's coming in January. So stay tuned for that when you hear about that. You're going to want to hear what um, he has to say when we do that. So before the mountains were born, brought forth a whole world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now we'll skip down to verse 14. So God, what do I do with all this information, with this heart of wisdom? God, satisfy us in the morning. Not with some peace and quiet. Not with a good cup of coffee. 
not with a few moments of peace before the kids wake up or before the phone starts ringing or before I start thinking about all the things I got to do today. What, what do we cry out? God, satisfy us not with any of those things, but with your unfailing love. Because that's the only thing ultimately that satisfies God. Satisfy me with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all of our days. Now for those of you who maybe grew up with me and refused to write in your Bible because you don't want to deface your, your Bible, let me just sort of break that little myth. I think it's a great thing to do when you find verses like this. I would love for your Bible to look like this. <laughs> And just find um, this, because this is where it also is in Psalm 13. I trust in your unfailing love. And, and so I love this. That that's what my Bible uh, looks like that I've had for years and years, circled and underlining. And, and um, I'd heard unfailing love before. And so when I saw it again in Psalm 90, I'm like, where have I seen that? And I'm like, oh, it's Psalm 13 again. I'm like, where else have I seen that? There's 80 other instances where this is used in Scripture. God, your unfailing love. You know the first time? It was Exodus 15, when Moses um, leads them through the Red Sea, and they come across, and Pharaoh and his armies drowned in the sea, and him and Miriam write uh, the first worship tune that they have recorded in Scripture, and they sing songs, and what refrain do you hear in there except, God, your unfailing love? And so from generation to generation, that phrase has just captured the hearts and the minds of so many people in Scripture. God, it's your unfailing love. And Moses lived on the other side of the cross. Jesus hadn't even come yet. It was a promise yet to be fulfilled. And, and how much more do we living on this side of Jesus and the cross should understand that concept of God, it's your unfailing love. Let that be the satisfaction of my life. That regardless of my mistakes, your love is unfailing. Regardless of the decision I'm going to make today, which is going to be a rebellion against you, and I'm going to make some bad choices, I'm going to stumble and fall, thank you, God, that I can trust in your unfailing love. So when I fail, I know you're never going to fail, and your love will never fail me. And, and, and you just, you can never see that any clearer than you can than looking at the cross. And I marvel at that, that he took up his cross, not because he had to, because he chose to, because he's a God of unfailing love. And so love kept him on the cross. When people mocked at him, well, save yourself and us if you're the son of God. What do you mean, if I can? Man, I spoke the world into existence. I didn't have to lift a finger to put the galaxies and the stars in place. I can, but I won't because of my unfailing love. Because I know you're all destined to die. And I don't want you, this to be the story of your life. You live and you die and that's it. I'm willing to go to a cross because I want your story to go on forever. I want you to experience the paradise that has been prepared for you. I want you to experience what it was like before sin entered the world, before rebellion entered the world. I want you to experience that and I'm going to give that to you as a gift. That's why I'm going to stay on the cross. I'll die for you and I'll rise again so that you might know of my unfailing love verse 15 make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us for as many years as we have seen trouble uh, glad doesn't seem to fit there at all I mean, you think about your day today and well tell me about your day today well it's full of trouble 
Man, my day, just a lot of, every, it seems like every direction there is trouble. Everywhere I look, all I see is trouble all around me. And it just affliction, that's what it feels like. I'm just getting afflicted, like from every angle and every side, mentally and emotionally and spiritually, everything is afflicting me. Everything is full of trouble. How do you feel about that? Glad? <laughs> what do you mean glad? How do you feel glad about affliction and, and trouble? Well, you can if, if you know about the greatness of, of our God. You can if you have a heart of wisdom because God is leading in, in ways that we can't comprehend and understand. That God from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. I don't have that perspective. And so I need you to lead and guide and direct me. A number of years ago when I was serving in Florida, I had a call to go to Michigan. And uh, that's where I was born and raised. And the church, there was a large church and it was about just five miles from my sister's house and like 20 minutes from my mom. And that was when she first was diagnosed with, uh, with dementia and before it became a full-blown Alzheimer's. Um, so I thought, man, this might be, what a great opportunity if they extend a call to me to be there. And so I met with the church and, and again, large church. And I said, well, why do you want, you have a senior pastor. What do you look, well, we're looking for an associate. But frankly, the pastor said, I, I'm not a visionary leader. Like, I'm, I'm good at administration, but I'm not good at visionary leadership, and, and I see that in you. And so I would love for you to come be an associate pastor here, but I, I want to sort of turn that over to you. So you lead and guide and direct the church where it needs to go. I know it's a little weird from that standpoint, but if you're willing to do that, I think it would be great. And, and I thought, wow, that, okay, let's talk about it. And so they then eventually send you the paperwork, and like, we want to call you. Our congregation is elected to call you to serve as our pastor. And I got the call, and I remember I'm looking through the things. I'm like, okay, everything's great. Get down to the salary. And, and I look at that, I'm like, oh, wow, I think they made a mistake. And so I called them up, and I said, hey, listen, I got your call documents. I think you made a mistake on the salary. It's like, well, what's wrong? And I said, this is way more than I'm getting paid now. And this is, frankly, way more than I deserve to get paid. I think you made a mistake. Can you check your math? And it's like, no, no, we know exactly what's on there. That's what we think you're worth. And this was just, you know, in the 2000s. And so, the, you know, the automotive industry in Michigan and, and thinking what they were going to pay me in a large, it's like fits everything that I really ever wanted at that point and to think about what I could buy a house for in Michigan during that time like a hundred thousand dollars would buy a mansion in you know the Detroit area in that time I thought man this is great I can live with family and all this kind of stuff and I had every reason in the world to take that call I was excited about that call and, and every time, because I, I'm like, I, I got to trust, I'm going to go back to God. God, lead and guide and direct me. And so I pray, and every time I prayed, I, I just had this pit in my stomach that this is not the right thing to do. I'm like, oh, it's got to be pizza or something. I don't know what that is. So let me think about it again and pray about it some more. And every time, I just had this gut reaction. And I remembered something a counselor told me a number of years ago. I was just going through some stuff in, in life and sitting with him and recounting every bad decision I made. And he said, John, uh, can you tell me some of the common factors in your bad decisions? I'm like, well, me? I'm, I guess I'm the common factor in all. I was there for every bad decision I ever made, and I was a part of making all the, you know, no, deeper than that, John. I'm like, well, what is it? He's, he said, well, listen to what you said. And every time I ask you to tell me about some of those decisions you made and why did you end up making that, did you not see any of the signs? And almost every time you said, you know what, I, I felt like something was wrong, but I couldn't really understand it, and so I did it anyway. He said, so why don't you listen to your gut? I said, I, I, I don't know. It doesn't make sense. He said, well, exactly. <laughs> Maybe you need to weigh both of those things out, that God gives you both uh, a brain and a gut for a reason, that you should use them together and, and listen to those. And it was like that came back in my mind, and I wrestled with that some more and felt, I don't have peace with that. 
And so I made a very difficult decision, and I, I called Michigan, and I said, I, I'm not coming. And then I called my family. I said, I know you're looking forward, and everybody thought I was coming, but I'm, I'm not coming because I don't feel. And I, I tell you, I look back on that moment, and, and I think this was before I met Margaret. I wouldn't have met Margaret. I wouldn't have gotten married to her. I, I wouldn't have had Bella. Uh, Concordia University in Irvine, California most likely wouldn't have a master's in org leadership and counseling and a PhD program right around the corner because she's instrumental in bringing that. And I think just one decision of a gut, of just asking God to lead and guide me and had nothing else to go by but just a gut that no, um, I, I, don't, I don't need to go. And this is what our God does from everlasting to everlasting. He's leading and one little decision would have changed the trajectory of my life. But because I went back to this, Lord, teach me to number my days that I might have a heart of wisdom, how important that is. So look at verse 17. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. What a wonderful prayer. Establish the work of our hands for us. And he says it again. Yes, establish the work of our hands. See, Moses knew that time is not to be tithed. It's not like I give 10% of my time to God. God says, all time belongs to me. All time is his time. But what I want to do with the time I have, God, because I want a heart of wisdom, what I want to do is make sure all of my time is effective. And I want to make, make sure all of my time is enduring, that it goes beyond me because I'm not just serving me, I'm serving you, God. And so help me to live that way. Establish the work of my hands. Show me what to do with today and with tomorrow and every single day that I have. And so I really wrestled what I really wanted you to know at the message. And, and, and I put down these words here. So if you tuned out or fell asleep, just come back for just a second. And, and here's what I wanted you to walk away with. Just this understanding that right now, out there somewhere, somebody right now, is begging God to come to them. Like, God, I need to see you. I, I need to know you're real. I need to know that you're here. I need to know you forgive me. I need to know you're with me. So be the answer to their prayer. You be the answer to their prayer. And so step in to a God moment. Just be willing. God, bless the work of my hands. Help me to step into a moment that you want me to step into so that the kingdom of God would come to one more person. So that somebody who has been praying for you to enter, I can be the one to deliver you into their presence. Lord, give me that heart of wisdom that I might live my days that way.